0: Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Tuesday, May 11th, 2021. I am John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, Executive Editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Uh, Senior Writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And Associate Editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Uh, I mentioned this yesterday. Uh, keep your eyes peeled if you are a Commentary subscriber for your to your emails or Uh, uh, you have been uh, an attendee at our events in the past because we are going to be live with our 11th annual roast, which, of course, we had to cancel last year. We will be roasting uh, the genius uh, Rabbi Meir Soloveitchik uh, with uh, high-spirited fun uh, and uh, many uh, well-known people whose identities I don't know yet uh, joining us uh, to tease Sully within an inch of his life. Um, there will be individual seats available. There will be tables available. We will be giving you that information as it comes. That's a commentary roast, November 22nd in New York City. Together, and I, we ain't going to be wearing masks, I'm telling you there right now. I And you know what? I was going to talk about Israel first, but since I mentioned masks, I'm going to use this occasion to once again praise, to my great shock and horror, David Leonhardt of the New York Times, uh, who I think uh, has over the last 10 years been one of the worst writers on economics uh, in America, but uh, as a somebody who has been writing uh, about uh, COVID and um, sort of the factual basis of COVID mania, um, has a really, really centrally important column today revealing um, an unbelievable miscalculation on the part of the Centers for Disease Control about the danger uh, of, uh, of of uh, outdoor transmission uh, of COVID that has that has led the CDC to continue to say that everybody vaccinated or unvaccinated needs to wear masks outside, and that according to him, uh, maybe one of you can uh, ba- uh, can uh, uh, back me up on on whether I'm getting the details right here. But the CDC says basically there is a kind of 10% that 10% of the cases of transmission of COVID uh, have been outdoor or super spreader events or something like that have been outdoors. And that apparently the number may be closer to 0.1% than 10%.
1: Yes because Which they re- based they based it on a one uh, largely on a study of construction sites in Singapore.
0: Right. Where where much of the construction sites of course are indoors since construction does not just involve putting up girders in the open air but involves going inside to finish the floors and Abe and I have been watching as across the street from our office a hotel the Jimmy Buffett Margaritaville Resort is going up on 40th Street just south of Times Square. Yes, there will be a Mar- Margaritaville Resort with the Landshark Bar and everything else like that. in, in Times. And we've been watching the construction of this painstakingly outside of our office window. And I can tell they you – They filled the pool. They filled the pool even though it's months away from opening. <laughs> and uh, I can tell you right now that having watched this like go up, that it took them basically a week per floor – So it took them like three months or something like that to finish the floors, but it's another year they are doing the inside. And so the construction site, so there was some kind of transmission number of construction workers getting COVID and that the CDC apparently, or whoever made this survey, decided to categorize all construction site COVID transmission as being outdoor transmission. Now remember, if if in fact the outdoor transmission rate of COVID is point one percent, and they've been saying that it is as high as ten percent, that is a thousand percent error. That is not that is not a that is not a non that is a huge, almost catastrophic that have that has caused guidance to be issued about things that it should not be issued about.
1: Can I can I one one point about this? Because Leonhard asked the CDC to clarify, like, what's going on with this number? It seems high. And their weasel worded response to him is worth quoting in part because they said there's limited data on outdoor transmission. The data we do have supports the hypothesis that the risk of outdoor transmission is low. It goes on. But it says uh, it's important. For people, oh, the CDC cannot provide the specific risk level for every activity in every community and errs on the side of protection when it comes to recommending steps to protect health. It's important for people in communities to consider their own situations and risks and to take appropriate steps to protect their health. But as you say, John, it's not as if individuals have the right to resist the restrictions that municipal, that private businesses and, and local governments place on citizens based on this obviously inaccurate information so these kind of weird circular argument that whenever the cdc's pressed on one of its clearly ridiculous recommendations like with summer camps and now with this outdoor transmission rate they act as if well we're just we're just giving you guidance just telling you the facts and maybe we don't have the facts but err on the side of caution and you know go forth and do this they are doing active harm to people with these badly, not just bad messaging, it's bad policy recommendations. So I feel like there should be a lot more pushback on this uh, than just a single New York Times columnist.
0: I mean, I just want to, I think that one is liable or likely, you know, everybody is sort of lined up on one side or uh, other of these sorts of issues. But it is very important here not to understate the meaning of what Leonhardt, the, 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 the piece itself, which comes from his morning newsletter, is headlined a huge exaggeration, uh, something that uh, Dr. Mujsevic, a virologist at the University of St. Andrews, told him. So um, the rare outdoor transmission that has happened all seems to have involved crowded places or close conversation. And here is the key point. Saying that less than 10% of COVID transmission occurs outdoors is akin to saying that sharks attack fewer than two, two, 20,000 swimmers a year. Sharks actually attack 150 swimmers a year. So while it is technically true that sharks attack fewer than 20,000 swimmers, it is technically true to say that. It would also technically be true to say that sharks attack fewer than a million swimmers or a billion swimmers when the number is around 150. And as he says, this is not just a gotcha math issue. It is an example of how the CDC is struggling to communicate effectively and leaving many people confused about what's truly risky. And the issue here is not, he uses the word confused and struggling. They are not confused and struggling. They have a preconceived and pre-designed bias towards saying that everything is dangerous. And saying that everything is dangerous means that they are in the clear in case something terrible were to happen and they would be accused of not having paid sufficient attention. But we are talking here about controls of people's daily lives of a sort that we have maybe, except in the few months around 9-11 and only in various isolated places around 9-11, we have never experienced before. And they're lying about it. My kids are about to go off to summer camp. If this nonsense isn't lifted, because in part of stuff like Leonhardt, my kids have already been told they have to pack 15 masks to wear them outdoors at camp, or maybe indoors. Fine. So if it's indoors, indoors is whatever. But they have to follow these camps, depending on where they are, are going to follow the guidance of the CDC because of nervous parents and all of that. I mean, they they cannot be permitted to behave this way and, and, and it creates this nightmare where we keep talking about crisis of faith in institutions and institutions continue to justify the crisis of faith in them. What could be more justified in terms of us saying we cannot trust the public health system to be telling us the truth or being responsible in the way it handles this matter, then stories like this. So
2: a huge uh, part of the criticism against the Trump administration's handling of the pandemic uh, when it first broke out was that the administration sidelined the CDC um, and was would just wing it instead of, you know, going with the experts um and then you see things like this and you think boy were they right i mean you know and then you know there's this other idea that the obama administration had a pandemic team in place and a plan and that was blown up i mean but you know this is the, we, there's this sort uh, uh ill-defined faith in these bodies um that they like that they will somehow have a, you know magical uh, prescience and and understanding of what goes on what are they going to, what, what would the, what would this uh, uh, pandemic, you know, uh, uh, task force have been? Is this sort of the, the super CDC? I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's like they're, they're all faulty down to, you know, as we've said a billion times, Fauci, who said from the start of this thing, uh, Americans have more to worry about from the flu than 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 the coronavirus. And we just see it again and again and
3: again. A few weeks ago, a guy named Scott Alexander wrote a really great piece on this phenomenon. Uh, essentially accusing the CDC and, and institutions in its orbit of webmding themselves. So the story of WebMD is actually really pretty fascinating. It's a victim of its own success. Um, when it was initially launched, uh, it was a very valuable resource um, because it provided some really effective uh, clinical advice, medical advice, uh, on a, and pretty tailored. And it has since become a joke now because... You type in whatever malady you're dealing with, or whatever medication you're taking, and the ultimate, uh, you know, result you're going to get is cancer. That's the joke of the thing, right? Everything's cancer, um, and it's it that that happened as a result of the institution's pursuit of indemnification, um, which is part of what the the pharmaceutical industry struggles with when it lists, you know, this every pharmaceutical, call, uh, you know, commercial that you encounter is ninety seconds long because they're required by law to list all these side effects of your various drugs, nine out of 99 out of a hundred of which really you're never going to experience. It's, it's, they have to more like, it's more like,
0: it's more like (laughs) 9,999 out of 10,000. Right. It's like bleeding and right. Their skin is going to
3: slough off your arms and right. nine out of ten people aren't going to experience that. Many more probably. Right. Right. But the bottom line is, they have to do this is in pursuit of of because of lawyers, because of the conventions around um, the, the the pursuit of indemnification in the event of a of a lawsuit. And that's basically what's happening to the CDC is that they're they're webmding themselves and sacrificing their own authority as a result. All in all, in pursuit of of
0: legal conventions, not the public health. I don't think it's just legal conventions. I think that there's a dovetailing of 10 or 11 larger social phenomena that have hit this public health messaging system and the conventional wisdom of this world of public health, which of course, by the way, involves a lot of people who are not doctors. These are people who get degrees and advanced degrees in public health who are not themselves doctors. They study public health as a thing, as a kind of industry or as a kind of uh, governmental activity without actual while borrowing some of the authority that comes from the 12 years that people who actually become doctors spend in training before they are able to take a patient you know a, pri- a private patient right that's the- so we when we go to a doctor we are built it, it's built into our understanding of of the medical profession that these people have been trained within an ounce of their lives to a degree that none of us is trained in anything and so if they look at us and they've been in hospitals they've been interns they've been residents they've dealt with hundreds if not thousands of patients and they look at us and they say well we think you have x We have very good reason, based on everything we know about them, to trust at least their initial judgment, even if we need to get a second opinion, because they've seen a lot, they've done a lot, they may be 32 years old, but they know more about the human body than we know about anything that we know about. And people in the public health establishment do not know anything more than we know, except that they read a lot of papers, and they know how many healthcare workers there are in the you know in goshen indiana or they know this or they know that or they know the other thing they study public health and the pandemic hit and what we needed because of natural natural national and international terror was medical guidance on what happens when these things happen from medical epidemiologists but then it turns out as we as we discover that many, if not most, epidemiologists are not themselves (laughs) doctors. They are basically social scientists who study mathematical formulae relating to things like outbreaks and stuff like that. And some of them are good. Some of them are amateurs, like Xanobter Terfeci, right? I mean, some of them aren't even professionals, but they are really good at understanding things we have been sold a bill of goods by these people because we need them we need them emotionally at a moment of you know unprecedented turmoil and it's like putting your faith i I mean they're not I, i it would be wrong to call them like you know snake oil salesmen because they're not con artists they themselves i think are acting on the basis of what they think and what they deem to be the best practices and the best wisdom but we needed to be able to invest our trust in them. We did invest our trust in them. And it turns out that halfway along the way, much of what they told us was garbled nonsense. And that we are still operating on the basis of information that David Leonhard figured out or somebody figured out
1: was wrong about outdoor transmission but this this is kind of like the replicability crisis in social science right now, right? You have a lot of people who are intelligent, many of whom don't even have an agenda, but have a, a carry with them a lot of assumptions about how people behave when they begin their research, and they tend to find a way to uh as we like to say here, you know go to their priors right they they find evidence of what they already began the experiment with, and then later researchers who come in without those assumptions can't repeat the experiment because. It doesn't work. So with an ongoing crisis, I think the problem isn't just that there's some bad public health information out there and bad analysis of of studies like this one in Singapore. It's that they formed a very powerful, very uh, unholy alliance with politicians in a moment of crisis that that they were both giving cover for each other's uh, politics in a way. And that has that's fine for a crisis and an emergency for a little while, but we should be questioning the evidence that's presented to us by these institutions in part to make hold them accountable um public health has public in it so where's the public's voice in a lot of this it's called conspiracy theorists you're screamed at if you don't wear a mask outside i mean this was this has been an ongoing problem and i think hopefully people will are starting to push back a little bit more on that but again to your summer camp point john it requires people with some power in these smaller institutions like a summer camp or a school or whatnot to push back and to say you know what we take the guidance but it's not law we're going to do our own thing.
0: See I don't think that that's right. I don't think that you can expect the director of a summer camp to go against the guidance of the federal government on how you're supposed to behave in summer camps in part because there may be impositions by local health authorities to follow this guidance because they themselves don't want to get blamed for an outbreak in their county or something like that. Like it it isn't the role of the of the camp. It is the role of the Biden administration. You know the famous Israeli rule. There was a famous there's a famous story about Israel and how it got it got um, totally uh, uh, shocked by the uh, Yom Kippur War in 1973. They didn't know it was coming. They didn't know it was happening. The conventional wisdom in the Israeli military was that there was nothing going on. In Egypt, Jordan, and 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 Syria, uh, there was no military activity that they needed to worry about. And then they were they were they were you know blind they they blinded themselves to realities, and they invented this theory called the tenth man theory. And according to the tenth man theory, if nine people around a table agreed that something was obvious and a conventional wisdom was established, the tenth man was obligated to argue the converse. And to force them to examine the conventional wisdom, and of course what immediately happens is everyone scoffs and scorns and belittles the 10th man, and then he has to push back and push back and push back, right? And this actually created a new kind of dynamic in, in, in the way Israel thought about the threats that were posed to it by its neighbors in a way that immensely and immeasurably strengthened it. Is there a tenth man in in the public health bureaucracy in relation to when they make these calls on covid? Is there somebody saying we all think that x who's the y? Who's the guy who is saying they're saying no 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 just if we all agree we better sit here and have somebody try to puncture this balloon if we if he can't puncture it then it's probably right. We're fine, but if he can puncture, if he can start making us question our assumptions, maybe we need to pull back a little bit and re-examine our priors, right? Not and, only, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not only is there no tenth man, there's no tenth man
2: after the 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 nine men were were proved to have gotten it wrong. I mean, there's never any reckoning for any of this stuff, right? There's there's no fourth wave. Oops, this was supposed to be, you know no one's even acknowledged that other than to sort of congratulate themselves for having gotten us through this um uh, the, but there's supposed to be this huge fourth wave of the virus the, the 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 states that lifted the the mask mandate no no huge uptick there uh, whoops oops what happened there right. um it, it, you just move on from one story to the next it, there's it's there's no reckoning there's no tenth man none of it I mean, What's astounding to me, I was thinking about this yesterday because New York has opened up uh, commercially now much more than it, than it, than it had throughout uh, the, the, the pandemic. Bars now are people are c- seated at bars and they're indoors and um, restaurants are at a much higher capacity. And I'm thinking back to Biden's promise about um, if we do this right, you will be able to gather outdoors in small groups with families by the 4th of July. It's the 11th of May. People are packed indoors in restaurants with strangers. There is zero connection to the public pronouncements and the the reality of the pandemic, and there is no accounting for it. Absolutely no one gets called
0: out. This is important because there will be an accounting, I mean, you guys have heard me say this on the podcast before, and I wrote about it in 2016 and all of that. Uh, Liberals and leftists were right that there was no public reckoning for the financial meltdown of 2007 and 2008. There really wasn't, right? I mean, uh, everything broke down six weeks before the 2008 election, so uh, it was too soon for that to count. 2010 was largely fought the midterms of 2010 were largely fought over Obamacare and Obama's spending, not over the meltdown. So that was really out out of out of phase. And then the Republicans nominated Mitt Romney um, who was himself a you know a, a Wall Street guy. so uh, it was hard for them to turn on you know it was hard for Republicans to use the financial meltdown in some fashion or other to sort of say Obama had mishandled the response. So what happened? The entire political system was blown up eight years later by Donald Trump. Donald Trump didn't come out of a vacuum. It wasn't because of immigration. It, wasn't, it was because everything in the country went haywire and nobody was held responsible for it. And this guy came up who said, Democrats are stupid and screw everything up. And you know what? Republicans are stupid and screw everything up. And they screwed up Iraq, and they screwed up this, and they screwed up that, and they screwed up the fi- and he didn't even have to talk about the financial. It was the general message, which is who the hell is in charge here? Everything is terrible, right? If we think that this is all going to go away, this year of you know this year of, of, of disruption, which argue, again was not actually is of course a contagion, not anybody's fault. But if we think that the evidence continues to come out that China, that this was a leak from a lab and China was responsible and no public officials in the United States hold China responsible and somebody arises in 2024 and says, the Chinese killed 600,000 Americans. That's more Americans than died in the civil war. And we're just la-di-da going on like it doesn't matter. Who knows what the political effect will, will, will be there? But you cannot assume there will be no political effect, which is what – I hate these terms, the ruling class, the establishment always does because it talks to itself. And it sees penumbers and emanations from polls and stuff like that and has to act. And we're going to talk about that in relation to what Joe Biden said uh, yesterday. Uh, but even more important is the fact that there are reckonings. They just come in bizarre fashion. They don't follow a linear pattern unless you actually let them follow a linear pattern. Like if Joe Biden got up and said, look, you know what? Everything's good. We're letting go. You know, we made some mistakes. Trump made some mistakes. Everybody's made mistakes, blah, blah, blah. You know, if he like if he like, straight talked people a little bit, even in his own nonsense way, it might go a great deal. It might go far to have people say, well, good. Someone's talking turkey to us for once instead of like just, you know, sucking but, up to his own base and not, you know, and and OK, I'm sorry.
1: I was just going to say the only times we've actually seen the Biden administration do that and push back a little on the public health, health messaging from the CDC, it's been to scold them for saying what is scientifically accurate, but politically inconvenient. Like about school schools.
0: Reopenings. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um so guys, I need to talk to you about uh the a sponsor that we introduced yesterday and this is a tough one. This is Tommy John underwear, which I wear and I really like, but the but the it's hard for me to read this ad is all I'm going to say. And I don't care if, if Tommy, Tommy John may decide that it doesn't want to advertise with us anymore, but I'm going to have to edit this ad as I'm speaking, as I did yesterday, because it's, it's uh, it's not right. It's uh, the, the, creative is not right for this podcast. So I'm just going to say this. Tommy John has underwear. They call it hammock pouch underwear. It's perfect. Its purpose is to make you much more comfortable in terms of making sure if you are a man and you wear underwear, that the very things that you use underwear for to protect you against things like chafing and stuff like that, not only happen, but happen in comfort. Okay. Tommy John doesn't have customers. It has fanatics. Fanatics call this hammock pouch, one of life's greatest inventions. And as I can tell you from my own experience with Tommy John underwear, once you've tried it, you're never going back because the, this uh, hammock pouch has an interior hammock and moisture-wicking fabric with four times the stretch of competing brands. 13 million pairs sold. It has a non-rolling waistband for the perfect fit. The legs never ride up, and you're covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. And right now, you get 20% off your first order at TommyJohn.com slash commentary. That's 20% off your first order of underwear and loungewear at TommyJohn.com slash commentary. That's tommyjohn.com slash commentary. See site for details. And I'm just going to say this, which is if I read the ad that I was given, not only wouldn't people who listen to this podcast buy Tommy John underwear, they might boycott the the, 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 the podcast. So, and, and, and Tommy John underwear. So I've done you a favor, Tommy John. You should continue to advertise with us. You should send us new creative. This is not really right for our audience, but you guys should buy this underwear. It's really great tommyjohn.com slash commentary so let's go to Biden and his speech yesterday, which he gave because uh even though according to him there's no evidence that his uh jobs plan or what not the jobs plan but the but the relief uh, coronavirus relief package has actually had a destructive effect on Americans going back to work and helping to power the uh, surging economy I, I, there's no evidence. None, no evidence whatsoever. But he spent, he said 17 times, if you can get a job and you don't take it because you want your benefits, we're going to take your benefits away from you, which will be a, a really interesting trick because I don't know how he's going to prove it. There used to be a way you proved it, which is you had to go to the unemployment office every week and say, and maybe you still do, and say, I looked for a job and I couldn't find one. I don't know. I, I you honestly do it online what, you do it online, so you You're click, still ask that
3: question. You certify every week, okay. as far as I know. I yeah. haven't been on unpo- unemployment in a decade and a half, but right. that was the case. You, right. But it's still self-certification, and it always was, yeah.
0: right? Okay, so great. So he's telling people, you better go take a job if you can, and not take this extra three hundred dollars a week until the middle of until the end of September that the federal government is offering you when you could go to work. Then he also says. People are underestimating the American people. They love to work. There's dignity in work. My dad in Scranton said, "Dave, <laughs> And why? Why did he
1: do this? That that actually was the tell. You know, every every politician has a tell. Whenever he's cornered on something that has a practical negative economic effect on the american people he retreats to dignity it's like oh but dignity we all love work it's dignified and with no actual uh policies the, the policies he's promoting and this administration has gotten passed are actually undermining the dignity of work as as we discussed on the podcast the other day so I, that that's his tell he retreats to the lunch pail dad dignity stories every time
0: right okay noah let's talk about the politics here I mean, the politics here are very interesting that he found it necessary after Friday's jobs report to come out on Monday and say, you know what? All these Republicans are saying this about job creation and they're wrong. But you better go to work, buddy. You're going to work or, you know, or we're my corn pop is going to come punch you in the (laughs) playground.
3: Yeah, um, I mean, there's some rather predictable responses as State level Republican officials, Republican governors have begun to pare back expanded unemployment uh, benefits in Mississippi, I think Utah, um, as a result of the data that is incontrovertible, which indicates that the public is, or the, rather the government is out competing private interests for unskilled and semi skilled employment opportunities. Um, Joe Biden has tacitly acknowledged that. And Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to ignore the the parallels here. We are in the midst of a problem in which the public is reticent to go back to work, not for lack of opportunity. We're seeing some rather hot signals for inflation in the data. We are experiencing a nascent gas crisis. I'm just wondering when Disco is going to come back. I mean, it's really difficult to ignore the parallels that we're seeing here.
0: Um. So I'll give you an example. Like, there's a story in the New York Times. Again, I I I hate constantly citing the New York Times, but you know when it when it's good, it's good. And they have a story about how summer's coming, people are going to go to the beach. They're going to flood to beaches all over the, you know, particularly in the East Coast. They're flooding to beaches, and guess who can't get workers? Beaches, restaurants, stores, everything they can't get workers. Yeah, and seasonal
3: labor is notoriously right. underpaid right low paid right. it's it's tra- you know it's it's a transitional employment opportunity by definition right. um and the margins on which these businesses operate are razor thin because they make all their money in the space of 3 months and that's got to last you for the next 7
0: right but the point is right so they're not necessarily offering they don't offer particularly good wages but their jobs and their jobs and then people who live there aren't taking them so folks will say, you know, they, the, you know, the, the left will say, well, why didn't, why don't they just pad their
3: margins? Why don't they just offer, you know, higher prices for things? We talked about this yesterday. That's an inflationary signal too, but it's also that they simply can't because they're going to be outcompeted. You're, these businesses operate in a, not, not just on small margins, but in very small geographic terms, Right. Sure. they exist on a strip and they're uh, and- with the same, same people on that strip offering the same service a block and a half away.
1: And we shouldn't forget that many of these places didn't get their summer flood last year, right? They did; they, they were shut down last summer in large part. So they don't even have any reserve they might have had was likely spent just staying alive. So this idea that they should, as you know, as as know I think, Ellen, really well on the podcast yesterday. The idea that they should start paying more and offer more lavish benefits—how can they do that? I mean, they the ones that survived to this point are running on fumes, and that should not be something that they—it's not something they consider.
0: This is the central point, which is that the federal government inadvertently, because of course this is not what was intended, but is inadvertently created a competition between work and not work by, by uh, not the federal, the federal government in part because of the $300 uh, addition to unemployment, which is a, which is a state level benefit, but, um, they are They have created a competition where it's like you can work for eight dollars an hour or you can collect unemployment until 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 the end of September. So uh, it's a perfectly rational calculation, notwithstanding the dignity of work, which I think we all accept the truth of in a larger sense. But it's like, look, I could work. Or I could like, what do I want to go serve ice cream to you know to 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 kids you know in in Myrtle Beach, you know day in and day out with them yelling at me and they're crying and you know dropping and then I got to go out and clean it up when I can stay home and play video games for three hundred dollars a week. It's not a, It's not well, it, it's a thing. totally that's, rational calculation.
3: But that's what's different about this insofar as you you the stimulus payments are a part of this calculation too. Uh, In order to collect unemployment, you have to have been previously employed and you have to demonstrate that you were let go, not that you resigned, but that you uh, lack of work, your job disappeared or you were let go. So not everybody's collecting expanded unemployment, but everybody who's, you know, I think of of working age is getting, has gotten or received some of the stimulus money, which is what's really distorting the picture at this point, because the previously unemployed who lost their jobs can at least prove that they had a job incapable of work the seasonal labor the you know the 18 year olds for example who don't have an employment history whatsoever they're not they're not collecting expanded unemployment
0: no but that doesn't mean if you if you've been on if you've been out of work for you don't doesn't have to be seasonal labor i mean that that these jobs have historically or traditionally been seasonal labor doesn't mean that they have to be taken up by seasonal labor by people who still don't have workplaces that are fully up to you know are, are fully are fully active. I'm just saying. This sort of thing is
3: everywhere. I saw this Bucky's ad yesterday. I don't even know what a Bucky's is, but I assume it's a, a place that, you know, employs hourly labor. And it I know it employs hourly labor. And it was graduated minimum wages up to nineteen dollars an hour. It was three weeks paid leave, guaranteed. You can take it, you can roll it over, you can cash it in. I mean the amount of uh, incentives that they were providing for their for their em- employees, as somebody who remembers working when they were 14, 15, 16 years old, were spectacular. It's you know, hard to turn that sort of thing down. And the fact that people are turning that sort of thing down is, you know, hard to ignore how, how distorted this market is.
0: Well, I don't think we know whether they're going to turn that down. And, you know, it, the whole point here is if this were happening organically, that is to say, if the economy were so sizzling, and we had achieved you know, this kind of liftoff because of uh, the economic uh, you know, uh, growth after the pandemic and the sort of explosion of optimism and enthusiasm and the roaring 20s and all of that, so that private employers were really competing with each other for employment, that's fine. The distorting element here is the government's presence in the employment economy playing a role by subsidizing lack of employment at a time when people can get jobs if they want them. What was so false about Biden's uh, dignity
2: uh, tell yesterday is um, he has the concept so wrong because work uh, confers dignity on the worker because by one's own effort, one is putting food on the table and a roof over their head that's it's an equation it's 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 a trade-off you do this work that is hard in parts enjoyable in parts whatever it is it's, it demands something of you and in doing that you then get this thing that you need to survive that, that therein lies the dignity it's the, the dignity isn't we're going to give you money now
1: go work because it's fun. Well and that that that's a really important point because the other big part of his speech was devoted to talking about how the government's going to pay for your childcare. And that's another like in terms of an incentive of like, if you think about a a family and how they get food on the table and a roof over their heads, a lot of it is driven by an idea of not just taking care of your own, but bettering your children's lives. Right. Mm -hmm. So that that actually confers a dignity and a purpose, right, a sense of purpose. Even if you hate your job, you are taking care of your family by doing it. And his whole thing was basically an extended um, vague discussion of how the government will take care of your family and should.
3: But there's some whole weirdness there, too, even with Republican governors. So Montana, for example, will is pairing back the $300 in expanded unemployment benefits. But in its place, it's substituting a one-time $1,200 bonus for workers who accept a job and complete one month of paid work. So taxpayers are now providing remuneration to get a job? We're, we have a monetary reward here for getting a job. Isn't getting a job the monetary reward for getting a job? <laughs>
0: Well, you know, I just, metaphorically, so what is the term that is used in English to describe what Abe was talking about, right? The fruit of our labors. That means what we get from labor. So let's use this literally, okay? You have to climb a tree to pull down an apple or to get six apples off the tree so that you can eat apples. Or there's a guy standing there with a basket and says, here, take these six apples. Now, now go climb a tree. You because... might, you might, you might enjoy the labor of climbing up and getting the apples, right? Because it's in you, you sweat and you get this and you're like, I took these apples off the tree. But honest to God, aren't you just going to take the apples out of the basket? You know, particularly you your moments. <laughs> thank you. I mean, I'm just saying like, it's, it's, unless climbing the tree is the the thing it's you the most only want way to, to get do the every day yes right yeah, or right. or the only way to get the apples is to climb the tree the only way to, that's when you climb the tree you get the apples and you're not only satisfied because you got the apples and you're giving them to your family but you're like you know I did this I you know I I had to sweat and do this and I did it and now my my kid is eating this delicious apple and I played a role in the fact that that apple is going into his mouth and into his stomach. I didn't just walk up and get handed the apple by somebody. The dignity and the the dignity and the um what would you call this like the self-interest and the and the and the, and the it, are all intertwined and you
1: can't separate them. The agency, well, I, I, yeah. but- but I really think that the, the co-opting of dignity language by the Democratic left angers me so much because it, what it's doing is taking the sense of purpose that many people find in work, even work they dislike for all the reasons we're discussing, and replaces it with dependence, right? So it's not just that you will take the easier apple and not climb the tree. It's that if you do that day after day, week after week, year after year, you start to see that as a right. It's I have the right for there should be someone there handing me apples. That's my human right. And you see the way that the language is is massaged and manipulated. And people start to believe that there are certain things that aren't your human right. It's just you might be in a circumstance where help is needed. And that's a different discussion. But this idea that it is the government and particularly the federal government's role to provide these things as a right to its citizens is not true. We're not talking at all about responsibilities. We're talking about rights. And I and I worry about the lopsidedness of that of that. Calculation.
0: As 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 you should. And as you should, if you're a listener to this podcast, you know what you should be doing right now is sitting in an X chair instead of sitting in that crappy desk chair that is giving you back pain right now. You gotta get yourself an X chair. Because if you're if you're not, you're making a mistake. I'm sitting in one right now. It's got that patented dynamic variable lumbar support, which offers unbelievable lumbar support to my lower back. And I'm using that x technology that provides heat and massage therapy while sitting at my desk. It goes right to my core. It increases blood flow. It increases muscle recovery. It increases energy. Four different massage modes and fast-warming heat technology when I'm sore. So instead of that old uncomfortable office chair, I look forward to spending hours sitting in the Ultimate Therapeutic Massager. This is the luxury supercar of office chairs. You won't believe the difference until you feel the X-chair difference for yourself. And X Chair is on sale now for 100 dollars off. Go to xchaircommentary.com now. That's the letter X, the word chair, commentary.com, or call 1-844-4XChair. X Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchaircommentary.com now and use code XWheels for free X Wheel Bladecasters. xchaircommentary.com. So um, uh, rockets have been raining uh, on on Israel uh, all last night and all day today. there was, for example, my sister who lives there sent me a picture of a school in an Israeli town that was com- had been completely obliterated by a rocket, and thankfully, uh, school had been canceled uh, uh, that day, uh, today so that uh, no kids were there, had kids been there dozens if not hundreds would have been killed um uh i think the number of rockets in the last uh in the last isla uh, i think it's uh, now it's well in the hundreds um some of them coming from hamas some of them coming from islamic jihad uh which is in the north and hamas is of course based in gaza which is to the uh west of uh, of israel um and to the west of tel aviv um And uh, something very interesting is going on here because uh, uh, you get the sense that the left is trying to gin up the usual, this is all because of the Israeli occupation and, uh, you know, they disrespect the... Uh, Muslims on on the the Muslims on the on the Temple Mount, and uh, you know Israeli right wingers are beating up uh, Arabs, and this is just terrible. And yada da da da. And there doesn't seem to be much strength behind it because there have been these demonstrations now on the Temple Mount, which is in East Jerusalem, for a couple of weeks, um, and uh, and there have been clashes and all of this, and somehow. You get the sense that everyone is going through the motions with their ritualistic denunciations of Israel. Because, um, like, w- what is the point of all this? Why is it happening? People are sort of aware of the fact that it kind of started happening when the when the uh, Palestinian Authority, which governs the West Bank, canceled elections because it was going to lose them to Hamas. And then, essentially, started jitting up fi- protest at the at the Temple Mount, which is an old game. It's actually how the second Intifada started uh, in uh, in two thousand. And uh, Hamas, not to be outdone, had to like start announcing itself as the defender of the Temple Mount by firing rockets. Which, by the way, they fired at Jerusalem, which could hit the Temple Mount. Just, just, just to let you know, like they're you know, generally speaking. Jerusalem has been off limits for rocket attacks because rockets are, of course, notoriously uh, unreliable in targeting. And uh, one goes astray, it could like destroy the third holiest site in Islam. But uh, Hamas is playing a you know is playing a sort of more desperate game here. Um, I'm just interested because I I I I don't feel the usual. It's been years since we've had a situation like this. It's just the old band isn't getting back together, or if it is, it's sort of like Beatlemania. Like it's not the Beatles; it's like some you know cover band that is playing the chords, but they don't have the resonance that they may once have had.
2: Don't you think the difference is is the post-Abraham Accord world? I mean that uh, the, the the region is is has moved on. Um, in large part so it so the it's not it, the, the, you don't have the the usual um sort of backers you know uh the the, the Hamas doesn't have its usual backers here or, or the, the 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 supposed Palestinian cause does doesn't have its you know international support
3: in the same way I don't know I dispute the premise I see it everywhere <clears throat> the same the usual suspects who uh, attack Israel for engaging in acts of self-defense as it is doing now, executing targeted strikes on uh, uh, military sites or Hamas sites in Gaza are, are facing extreme pushback Um, and no mention is being made of the rockets that are landing. Um, And, you know, they're, they're sort of relying on the incredible efficacy of iron dome to justify uh, the 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 claim now that any force, any any
0: retaliatory force is disproportionate. I'm not saying that it's not being said. I it is being said. I am saying that um there was a sense in which these things were the most important things happening in the world and in Washington and in the councils of power around the world when they happened. Um, you know this tiny little area uh these this this these two very tiny populations had this astoundingly outsized impact on 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 world and global politics and i think abe is right to some degree that one of the things that justified the united states focus wasn't that we you know america's like a zionist stooge it was that there were so many interests that America had to take into account. So yes, there, there's there's America's commitment to Israel and America's also commitment to Egypt, like both uh, after Camp David to some extent. But also they had to manage relations with the Gulf, relations with the Gulf states, um, the you know fears about uh, the Arab street and anti-Americanism arising from America's support of Israel, all of that. So they actually had, and keeping the Europeans pacified so that, you know, we could continue to focus on more important things. So they actually had six or seven balls. They had to juggle in the air. Um, and you just don't see that kind of pressure. Like you have Tony Blinken saying yesterday, the secretary of state saying the rockets have to stop. He wasn't like both sides. I mean, the both sides doesn't quite have the same resonance it used to. And I I mean, you know as as somebody who is you know deeply ideologically committed to zionism i also understood the complications that uh these kinds of complicated you know issues held for diplomats secretaries of state policy who were getting the phone calls from the foreign ministers in the gulf and elsewhere saying what it, what is israel doing they got to stop like what that what is this Stop, and then we got to figure out how to solve this more concretely in the long term because this is destroying everything and destabilizing everything. And they had to react and respond. They couldn't just say, nah, 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 whatever, right? Then the president came along who said, nah, 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 whatever. And you know what? It turned out when he said, na 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 whatever, in part because of the changes that were going on, uh, he was right. But I, he wouldn't have been right if Trump had been president in two thousand nineteen in two thousand or two thousand and one. George Bush kind of tried to say, "Nah, nah, that's nah, all right," and he couldn't really do it for long, just because everybody was, as my grandmother would say, hawking him a chinick. They just yelled at him and screamed at him and called Condi Rice ten thousand times a day until she had to do something to pacify them. And well, I, even then,
3: yeah. I mean, I was I was in college uh, at the time, but I remember. Sitting by the television watching CNN and the re- there was a the renewed push by the Bush administration towards a, for a peace process. And one of the commentators saying something along the lines of, oh, you know, I mean, everybody gives this one a shot. So what's the harm? Like no one expected, no one expected any, any fruit to bear from this process, but it was just like, just part of it. What's gone is the geopolitical resonance, the theory that um, all peace in the region is tethered to events that occur in in Jerusalem Um, and the, and the peace process there, and which would unlock peace throughout the region. That's been, you know, totally disproven. So any rational calculation of geopolitical risk here relegates this conflict to, you know, something along the lines of what happened between Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan, you know, Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan engaged in a full on border war a week ago. Uh, And literally no one talked about it in the West because it has that much geopolitical resonance here except in so far as it relates to our presence in Afghanistan. But beyond that, it's, it's more of a, it's not a geopolitical issue. It's more of a, of a just regular political issue.
0: Right. And, 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 and this is, this is a very key point because what then happens is when you see the squad yelling about how we should condition Israeli aid and they have to stop. And the, you know, the Palestinians are being oppressed and all of that. This then becomes entirely a leftist humanitarian issue. And I am sorry, but uh, you got a leftist humanitarian issue about the suffering of these people and hundreds of rockets are raining down on on the country that is supposedly oppressing them. Your message is kind of not that good. It's not good to say that Israel is the aggressor when a school is being blown up in Ashdod or Ashkelon and when, you know, a guy is being pulled from his car and beaten up and all of that stuff. Or when, you know, it just, it's not the same. When there was a geopolitical context to this, right, which is you've got to stop this, yes, because all of the instability in the Middle East is sort of the result of this nucleus of trouble in Jerusalem and the West Bank. Once the Arab Spring started, I would say, that was the that when things were going on in the Arab street that had absolutely nothing to do with Israel and Palestine. That was now ten years ago. This is a decade in which all of those ideas have become are, are dated, and so that's when you have. If Elon Omar is going to stand there and say you are and Rashida Talib you are oppressing the Palestinian people, the 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 gut response which is. Yeah, tell them to stop firing rockets at, at you know, at, at at cities and towns. That's not just a gut response. <laughs> like, it's hard to answer. Like, for a rational person. Like, a rational person who doesn't really have skin in this game. I would say. Anyway, for, with that, we will bid you adieu until tomorrow. Uh, for Abe, Christina, No. I'm John Pothoritz. Keep the candle burning.